Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Middle Earth Mixer. I'm your host, Evan Cooney, and today we got a really exciting episode for you. I'm sorry that it's taken so long to release a new episode. It's been a really eventful couple weeks. Uh, I plan on exponentially increasing the amount of content that I'm putting out. Part of the reason why this episode took so long was because I had planned to do an episode on something else, and I just wasn't really excited about that particular topic. So uh, I switched it up to something I'm much more excited to talk about, and that is the debate between Finrod and Andreth. Now, this is a piece of Tolkien's writing that is not in The Lord of the Rings. You can find it in uh, Morgoth's Ring, which is um, it's part of the, the History of Middle-Earth series, and it is a fascinating tale, and it, it's one of the most important things that Tolkien wrote because it gives us an in-depth look into how he thinks and feels, not only about the philosophies of the world that he created, but how they relate back to our world as well. So my purpose here is I'm going to explain the debate between Finrod and Andrith. I'm going to give you some background about this debate, why it's taking place, what are the circumstances, and I'm going to try and summarize the main points of the back and forth, the kind of point and counterpoint between these two characters. Now, I want to be detailed in my analysis of this. However, I'm going to try and, you know, keep it as basic as possible because I, when I made this podcast, I didn't want to find myself in a situation where I was basically just copying like verbatim what they're saying. So I basically took what they said and tried to summarize the main points into quick and easy digestible wrap ups. So without further ado, let's get right into it. First of all, this debate, it's very much, um, you know, if you read old, like a Greek debate kind of style, this is how it's written in. It's like a, a short story centered around this debate between these two characters. And like I said, it's between the characters of Finrod and Andreth. The title of this story is Anthrabeth Finrod a Andreth, which is Sindarin for the debate of Finrod and Andreth, right? It's pretty easy stuff there. For those of you who don't know, Finrod is Galadriel's brother, and Finrod was called by the elves a friend of men, and he loved chiefly the house of Beor, which is one of the three houses of the Edain, which were the good men who were eventually gifted Numenor, right, for being good and for being on the right side in the First Age. Finrod was the first to come into contact with the race of men after their awakening. He was the first to discover the second children of Iluvatar. You remember, elves are the first children of Iluvatar. Men are the second. They wake up in the east and they migrate into the direction of the west. And Finrod is the first elf, at least of Beleriand, to come into contact with men. We know that um, men did come into contact prior to reaching Beleriand with the elves, but it was mostly a very, it was a mysterious interaction. You know, it was threatening. You know, the elves didn't really they they hadn't established really relations. I think that there was maybe some violent confrontations between them. So men had some knowledge of elves, right? But it was more of like a, a fear kind of knowledge. But Finrod had never encountered men before at this point. So 
the Noldor allow these houses of men to settle within their realms and provide service to the elves when needed or, or if needed. Uh, and about three generations of men go by. And again, this is with great friendship that these two races are, are learning about one another. And Finrod would visit the men often. And Finrod happened to be visiting the house that he, he loved. It was the house of Beor. He His first friend of... The race of men was the leader of the house of Beor. His name was Beor the Old. But at the time of the debate, three generations goes past. So Beor the Old's grandson has just passed. And Finrod is, for some reason, has traveled to visit uh, the house of Beor and the men who are living in this one particular area. We don't know why Finrod goes there, but as the reader... When you're taking it in, it kind of seems like maybe he's there specifically for the funeral celebration of this man. And the man who has just passed, by the way, is Boron. He is the grandson of Beor the Old, and he was the leader. And this back and forth gets started with Andrith, who, by the way, I'll introduce you to Andrith real quick. Andrith was a wise elder of the house of Beor. So of the house of this man who has just passed, Boron. She's of the house of Beor the Old, who was the first man to be friends with Finrod when they first came over into Beleriand. And Andrith not only was a wise elder of the house of Beor, but she was also Barahir's aunt. So Barahir's father's sister. Now, for those of you who maybe have only seen the movies, you'll recognize Barahir, the Ring of Barahir. The Ring of Barahir is the ring that Aragorn wears on his finger. So the name that this ring belongs to, that Aragorn wears in The Lord of the Rings, is the nephew of this woman, Andreth, who is having this debate with Finrod in this story. So Andreth... The elves called her sailing, which meant wise heart. They really respected her knowledge. And her and Finrod became fast friends because the men kept their lore kind of close to the hip. They didn't want to share a lot about themselves with the elves at first. However, the men really liked Finrod. They trusted Finrod. Finrod had earned their friendship because he respected them. He didn't look down upon them like, like the men felt that the majority of elves did in the beginning. So they became very close because when Finrod would visit, they would have these long conversations because it says that Finrod was more concerned with things of the mind than any other of the Noldor at the time. The Noldor were mostly concerned with building great things, but Finrod was more concerned with thinking and learning great things. So Finrod was very curious about this new, uh, about this race of men, which to the men, I mean, the elves have known, uh, or the men have known the elves at this point for over a hundred years. So the men are very familiar with the elves, according to them, but to the elves, the men are still new because a hundred years is, is a blink of an eye in the lifetime of an elf. So he would go there often to learn about them. And he happens to be there during the death of Boron, the current lord and grandson of Beor the Old. And Finrod starts this discussion with Andrith around this fire. And he basically is like, man, Boron's dead. This sucks. Boron is the grandson of Beor the Old, who I first met when you came in your migration. So it's like three generations have passed of people that I, I've loved, you people that I have become friends with. And, and to me, it feels brief. So like Finrod is expressing in this moment that, that he feels these three generations of friends have gone by and I've known all of them and I'm mourning their brief existence. And Andrith responds with, 
uh, it's been over a hundred years. And honestly, we were dying quicker before we came here to Beleriand. So she basically says, uh, actually, all three of those generations of men that you are mourning right now, they were alive for a pretty long time. And honestly, we were dying sooner, you know, before we came into your lands. And then Finrod says... Okay, well, since you have come into Beleriand, now if you remember, Beleriand is this place that is protected by the valor of the elves. Like Morgoth's shadow can't really penetrate into the lands that the elves hold in protection. But outside of Beleriand, the world basically exists in this realm of darkness. So that's that's what they're talking about when they say like, we're living longer since we came here because this place that we live in now is less evil because it's guarded by you elves. But in the wildlands, people live brutal and shorter lives. So that's kind of what Andrith is expressing here. Like, since coming here, we've actually lived longer. It actually hasn't been as brief, though it seems brief to you as an elf. So Finrod basically brings up like, oh, so you people are living longer? Like, you must be content then. You must be really content here in this safety that we've provided for you. And Andrith has a really interesting response back to him. She says, content. No heart of man is content. All passing and dying is grief to it. But if the withering is less soon, then that is some amendment. A little lifting of the shadow. Now, this is where the debate really kicks off. Because listen to what she just said. She said, it's a little... The fact that they're living longer is a little lifting of the shadow. It's like, it's a little bit of solvent on this life of suffering that we as men have to deal with. That's what she's expressing here. And it's this statement that really catches Finrod's attention and what makes a debate kind of explode from there. So Finrod says, no, 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 no. Your death can't be a shadow. Your children of Eru Iluvatar. You remember Eru Iluvatar is Tolkien's creator god. He says, your children of Eru and your fate comes from him. It's not a, it can't be, he's saying like, it can't be a shadow because you're, you're meant to die. So it can't be a bad thing because like in Middle Earth, the shadow is, you know, that's, that's evil. And Andrith comes up with a counterpoint and she says, you say we are children of Eru, yet you look upon us not as equals, but with pity, like children. Now remember, I'm not quoting it verbatim when I quote these. I'm, I'm just summarizing the points that we're making because I'm trying to make, like I said, quick summaries of the point and counterpoint between Finrod and Andrith. And she basically says, okay, yeah, you elves say that we are children of Eru, yet you don't look at us as equals. You know, you look upon us with pity, you know, somebody to be frowned upon essentially or feel sorry for. And Finrod counters with, yes, yeah, some elves do. Not all of us, though. And he says, certainly not me. I don't look at you this way. And then he says, and when we call you children of Eru, he's like, that's not something that we take or say lightly. When we say that, we mean it because we take Eru Iluvatar very seriously. And then he says, he brings up an interesting kind of counterpoint to her. He says, look, we mourn the passing of creatures and flowers. We look upon them with their beauty, all of the beautiful animals and beautiful plants, but even they die. And they're a part of this world. It's, it's their fate to die. And he goes, like flowers that pass, we also look upon you, men, with even more mourning because we know that you are close with us. We know that you are close with us in kin. We know that you are the second children of Iluvatar. So we mourn you like we mourn the death of a beautiful flower. And then he says, but like their nature, it's also your nature to die. And then he says that basically you seem bitter as if our outlook on things about you 
and your fate is wrong. And she says, Indrith responds, she says that, yeah, I think that you are wrong. I definitely think that you're wrong. And I think that your misunderstanding of our fates and what was actually supposed to happen actually comes from the shadow itself. Now, when she says the shadow, she's talking about Morgoth. But man, at this point, is still pretty ignorant about the nature of Morgoth. They know of a Morgoth-type character, and they refer to him as the Nameless One or the Shadow. So that's who she's talking about. She says that this belief about death that Finrod has actually is, is an ignorant position. And then she gives this really interesting quote about lore and stories that are passed down. So she basically says, I think I, I disagree with your point that it's our nature to die. And then she talks, starts talking about the, the histories that are passed down to, from like the elders. And she said, but there are some that think otherwise. Men call them wise, but heed them little, for they do not speak with assurance or with one voice having no sure knowledge such as ye boast of, but perforce depending upon lore, from which the truth, if it can be found, must be winnowed. And in every winnowing there is chaff with the corn that is chosen, and doubtless some corn with the chaff which is rejected. So it's a really interesting quote that we get there because not only does that touch on something in story, but it's also a great metaphor for what happens in our real world with real histories, right? There are lies that come with the truths about history that we accept and vice versa there are truths that come with the parts of history that we have maybe tossed in the trash disregarded or don't listen to so she's basically making a you know like there are stories that are given to us from our ancestors, but we can only trust them so far. And that's, I think, Tolkien's somebody who was so interested in history. I'm sure he felt that, like, yes, there is chaff that is thrown away that shouldn't be thrown away, that is sifted out of our histories that maybe we should have known, but we don't. But anyway, moving on, I wanted to touch on that because I think it's a fascinating quote and it's going to come up again later in the debate. So I need to be able to back reference that. So after she says this, she basically gets to the point like, the thing that we were told in our history is that men by nature originally were not meant to be short-lived. That they experience decay because of corruption and because of the Lord of Darkness, who, of course, is Morgoth. And Finrod responds to this by saying, yeah, I see where you're coming from on decay and darkness and it having an effect on this world. And he says a really interesting thing, which is something that I feel like needs to be portrayed better in these live adaptations that we get elves are experiencing decay outside of the undying lands outside of Amon, right they are becoming weaker essentially and finrod expresses this and he's like that's because you know we are living in Ardamard. we are living in the discord of melkor and really, Amon is the only place where you can, you can kind of live peacefully away from the decay and even still not fully away from it. You know, we know that because Morgoth was able to attack the land of Amon. He was able to destroy the two trees. So nothing is perfect within the bounds of Arda because the discord of Melkor is sewn into it. And outside of Amon, elves kind of become weaker. They become less fantastic as time goes on. 
So he expresses that to her. And what he's trying to do here is establish some kind of kinship and common ground with her in this discussion. Like, hey, we experienced decay too. You know, you're not alone in this, oh, woman of the race of men. And Andrith isn't having it. She's like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You're not like us. You endure, but we are meant to die. And she says that the, the elves' existence is high and enduring. And the existence of men is brief and terrible. And she says, death was imposed on us and fear of it is with us always. That's why we came west. We followed the sun and the whisper of the light of the west. Now, I added that in there in the end, the whisper of the light of the west, because men originally came west because they were trying to escape the chaos of this dark east that they were born in. When men awoke, they awoke in a land of strife, in a land that's essentially ruled and dominated by Morgoth's influence, because it's so far outside of Beleriand in the wildlands of Middle-earth. So the men who wanted to get away from that, they followed the sun into the west, and that's how they themselves ended up in Beleriand. So she kind of angrily responds to him. Like I said, no, you don't get it. This was imposed on us. Men were wronged. We deserve to be living the same lifespan that you're living. And this is a curse that has been put upon us. And it says that Finrod just kind of gets quiet for a second. And he says, these words are strange and terrible. <laughs> it's like, that is like his response to her to that. Because he can see the, the spitefulness with which she's speaking. And he feels that it's wrong and unnatural. So then he starts talking again and he says to her, like, you speak as someone who is, whose pride is wounded, as if you're trying to hurt me for having this discussion with you. Like you have a problem with the elves. And then he says, when we discovered you, when I discovered you, you were already the way you were. Your fate was already set. We didn't do this to you and we take no joy in your suffering. We take no joy in the fact that you have to face death. You know, so, so he's like, why are you, I feel like you're mad at me in this moment. And then he says something important that you don't want to miss because it gets into the mentality of why some of the men of the first age were willing to fight alongside Morgoth because he says, as this only one would say otherwise talking about the elves rejoicing in men's suffering the elves feeling like they are better and more lordly than men it was like only one would want you to believe that and that is the enemy who you do not name so he's basically saying like these this stirring of anger that you're feeling you know, this is something that, that Morgoth wants you to feel. He wants there to be strife between the two children of Iluvatar. And then he says a really powerful quote. Now, remember that quote that I, I thought was a good analogy for history that I mentioned earlier with the, the wheat and the corn and the chaff? He says, Beware of the chaff with your corn, Andrith, for it may be deadly. Lies of the enemy that out of envy will breed hate. Not all voices that come out of the darkness speak truth to those minds that listen for strange news. So he's basically saying like, hey, beware of that truth that you may or may not be, that your people may be throwing away. He's basically telling her here, like, careful of the voices that you listen to, because the things that you're saying are, are dangerous. The feelings that you're expressing here are wrong, and you shouldn't be feeling them, and it's going to lead to bad things. And then he basically makes the point to her. He's like, if you weren't meant to die, then death wouldn't exist for you. 
okay? He's saying Morgoth doesn't have the power to make this happen. It wouldn't exist in this world if Eru didn't make it that way. And then he says you're conflating death with the shadow of Morgoth. And she responds, you don't know anything about death. You don't experience it. And then Finrod is like, we do. Some of us die. And he starts main, naming some examples. You know, Feanor is one of them. He's slain. He talks about all of the past examples of elves who have gone out of their bodies because something unexpected happened or there was a murder. And Andrith responds with a... She, she gives a pretty good response back. She says basically, yeah, well, from what I hear, from what people tell me, is that you don't actually leave this world at all. And you can return to your bodies after death. Now, if you remember what happens to elves after death, they go to the halls of Mandos. They are possibly judged on the actions that they have taken during their lifetime. This is happening to Feanor, right? At this point, Feanor has not been re-sleeved and will not be re-sleeved until a later date because of the atrocities that he committed during his time. And then the, the elves, after which that time takes place, they can be put into a new body and live in Amman, and they wait until the world's end. So she's right on this. She's exactly right in this keen response to him. And she ends off her response with basically saying, like, our death is an absolute end. And then she says it's abominable and it was wrong that it was done to us. And Finrod, <laughs> at this point, is kind of like, his response sounds like, okay, okay, I, I low-key I low see where you're coming from. I get it. I get it. Okay, so you think... For us, death is more of a temporary harm. But for you, it's an absolute end without a redress. And then Andrith responds with something interesting here. She says, oh, there's another difference between our two deaths. Your death is but a wound in the chances of the world, which the brave or the strong or the fortunate may hope to avoid. The other is death. Our death is ineluctable. Death the hunter who cannot in the end be escaped, be a strong man or swift or bold, be he wise or a fool, be he evil or be he in all deeds of his days just and merciful. Let him love the world or loathe it. He must die and leave it and become carrion that men are fain to hide or to burn. That's pretty strong there, you know, and it's definitely a reflection. You know, you can feel Tolkien speaking strongly on the fear of death that is an unfortunate part of our fallen world in the real world. And Finrod's like, all right, that was dark. But he says, have men no hope? You know, he responds to her like that. He's like, all right, all right, all right. I see what you're saying. But have men no hope? And Andrith responds here and says, they have no certainty and no knowledge, only fears or dreams in the dark. It's at this point that Finrod kind of changes the direction of the discussion here. Finrod is still trying to make inroads with Andrith to find common ground so they can understand each other better. And he says, look, 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 we die too. Okay, newsflash. Arda is not forever. Arda is the earth. The universe is Ea. He even mentions Ea too. He says Arda and Ea, the earth and the universe, they will die eventually because only Eru, its creator, is limitless. So he's saying like, look, eventually it all has to come to an end. So... We will die eventually. And he does an interesting thing here. He spins the hunter comment that Andrith made to him prior back on her. He says, our hunter, talking about death, our hunter is slow-footed. 
but he never loses trail. And then he basically says, beyond the end of the world, we have no hope. You know, we have no knowledge. He's saying no one has told us anything about what happens at the end of the world. He's like, if the Valar know, which remember, the Valar are Iluvatars. You could compare them to angels, governors of the earth. He's like, if the Valar know, they haven't told us. You know, we don't know what happens. We have no hope. No one speaks to us of hope. So yeah, we live longer, but it's really just a difference of time between the two of us. The hunter will come. And then Andreth is basically like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> that was essentially her response. Like, oh, nobody told me that before. I thought you guys just live forever. And Finrod responds to that with an interesting quote. He says, it's not clear that a foreseen doom, so it's not clear that a foreseen death, it's not clear that a foreseen doom long delayed is in all ways a lighter burden than one that comes sooner. So he's basically trying to say to her, like, look, our deaths are just a matter of degree, okay? Yours comes sooner, ours comes later, but we both have to face it, right? So can we make common ground there? And then he pivots this into doubling down on the, the fact that Melkor, the darkness, the dark one, he could not truly change your fate even if he tried. He doesn't have the capability of doing that. And if he did, then everything means nothing, all right? All of our work, all of the battles that we fought, living in the land of Amon, like nothing matters. The Valar don't matter. The powers of this world don't matter. If evil has the power to do this, then we might as well just lay down and die now. And Andrith responds with this, reverting back to her stubbornness and despair. She basically says, you, you face death really just in thought. You face it theoretically. It's this distant, far-off thing that you get to have discussion and debate about. And she says, for us, it's every day. We live death every day. We lose people every day. So she, again, she's kind of doubling down on the like, don't try to make common ground with me here. You get to have philosophical discussion about this. Somebody I know will probably die next week, <laughs> is Andrew's position. And then she says something really dark. She says, we know. She basically jumps into the despair that Finrod was trying to get her to avoid with the last statement that he just said. We know that the Nameless is lord of this world, and all of our valor is folly, or at least fruitless. So what she just said was, is that, look, it is all for nothing, okay? And the Dark One, Melkor, he's the ruler of this world. It doesn't matter what we do. And it's at this point Finrod kind of flips out. Okay, he's like, no, don't conflate Eru with Melkor, the evil one. You don't want to do that, okay? Melkor would love that. He would love what you're saying right now. He wants you to equate him with the creator of the universe because that's how he wants to be seen. That's how he wants creation to see him. There's only one ruler of this world, and that's the one who made it. And the one whom the creator put in charge, which is Manwe, he's the head of the Valar. And he says, so Melkor couldn't have imposed this change of fate upon you that he thinks, or, or that you think he did. So if it wasn't Melkor that made this change, if this change even happened, then it must have been Eru. So what is it that you people think you have done to upset Eru so much that he would take immortality away from you? He's just posing a situation. This is not what happened. But he's basically asking her, he's like, what makes you think this way? Now, I'm saying something right now that is just my personal opinion. This might be totally incorrect. So you can fact check me on it or whatever. And I don't care. That's fine. This is the like official version of the debate between Finrod and Andreth. Now, in the next scene that we get here, it says that Andreth fell silent and gazed into the fire. 
Now, the debate takes off after this into a different direction, but I think that in another, there's another version of this story that has the tale of Adonel in it. And the tale of Adonel is basically the legend of what men think that they did to have immortality stripped from them. It's this tale of what men think were their original sin. And I think that it was, the legend was removed from this story because I, I think that Tolkien didn't want it to actually be in there. It's this half-truth tale that men tell themselves about their fate. I think that the, the part where they started committing evil is true, but not the part about death is true. So I think that Tolkien maybe didn't include it here or it wasn't included here in, in certain writings because he thought it took away from the actual debate, which is the misunderstanding that men have of the gift of death. So I think maybe it was taken out because it would kind of add to that misunderstanding of the reader. But I think it's really interesting because it adds depth to at least what men believe about themselves and their own origin stories. You know, I won't spend too much time on it, but you can find it online. It's basically like the tale of Adonel is this story about the uh, origin of man's sin when they first turned from the voice, they call it like the voice that spoke out to them. And that, that voice is Eru Iluvatar. And then what happens is this shifty character shows up in a very lofty, magnificent form. And this person is Melkor, who tells them to not listen to the voice. And then they start worshipping and listening to Melkor, and things get worse and worse and more horrible for them, and then their lives are, are shortened, and there's sickness and disease, and there's violence because they're listening to Melkor, but they basically end up in such a deep hole that they continue to listen to him out of fear. And I think that there's half-truth in the tale of Adonel. Like, that wasn't the origin of the fact that they are guests in Arda. Their souls are guests in the world. But I think it is true that they did end up worshipping Melkor in those early years. And that's why the good groups or the groups that wanted to seek a better life elsewhere ended up following the sun into the west. But anyway, it's, it's really interesting. Look it up. It's the Tale of Adonel. I think that this is the place in the debate where where it says Andreth fell silent and gazed into the fire i think this is the place in the debate where the tale of adonel would have been told by Andreth, but it's not included in the official version of this story and again i could totally be wrong there but it's just speculation on my part so back to the story Andreth falls silent and gazes into the fire and finrod is basically like okay you don't know you know, what this original sin was that you have committed? Do the Valar know? Does, does anyone know? And she actually has a really interesting response because it gives us a psychological perspective into how men of the first age as a society kind of viewed the Valar. She says the Valar don't care about men. She says your Valar sent no summons to us and pay us no mind. So she's basically like, what do we know of the Valar? They don't care about us. They don't speak to us. Those are, those are your, the Valar take care of you. They take care of the ch elder children. They ignore us. And Finrod is real quick to correct this disrespect. He, he basically says, look, I, I know them. I lived with them. I lived in Amon. I saw the light of Valinor, okay? Like, don't speak about things that you don't understand. Keep the Valar out of your mouth, okay? Because those are lies from Melkor. This idea that the Valar just 
don't care or have ill will towards you and only care about us. Don't say that. That's a lie. And then he basically suggests one of two possibilities here. And I think it's the latter possibility that is the reality of Middle Earth. He says, look, maybe you did something in the beginning to cause the Valar to write you off or be cut off from you. Okay, maybe that's something that happened. Because we know that the, the Valar are good, so there must be a reason why you have less commune with them than we do. And then he says, or maybe, just maybe, you are too important for the Valar. Maybe you're, maybe the race of men is more important than any of us ever imagined. And maybe you're not meant to be subject to the Valar like we are. Maybe you're only meant to be subject to Eru himself. Did you ever think of that? And it's in this moment that Finrod changes the direction of the conversation again, because I think that he feels that it's not really fruitful to spend too much time talking about the Valar with a man. There are concepts that would be hard to get her to understand when speaking to someone who has literally lived in Valinor. So he takes the direction back to her idea of being like the, the Eldar the elves in nature because it seems to him that men are under this impression that they should just be living the same amount of time as the elves are and he makes the argument to her he's like if you had never met elves if you had never met us you wouldn't have a concept for immortality so how can immortality be a part of your true nature if before meeting us, you didn't have a concept for what your true nature actually was, if that was your true nature, to actually live an immortal life. Because we elves know who we are. We know who we are from the very beginning. We know our nature. We know that we are bound to this physical realm. And he goes, so if you had never met us, you wouldn't even have a concept for this. So it can't be a part of your nature. And she argues back and says, no, no, no. We had a concept for immortality before we ever even came in contact with you. Okay, we know it. It's in our lore before we met the elves that we had a concept for the fact that we shouldn't die. And she claims that the wise say that all things in their proper nature, whether they be man, elf, plant, animal, dwarf, all things wouldn't die in their proper nature. And here's where we get into some really fascinating stuff here. Finrod says, okay, okay, I see what you're saying, but how can it be the proper nature of things not to die if we all live within the bounds of Arda? The earth, which is to die eventually, this earth will not last forever. So how can it be that if it is the nature of Arda to die, that it wouldn't be the nature of things within Arda to also die? So what he's basically trying to express here to her is that if we all live in this physical realm that is bound to the rules of the physical realm. And if the physical realm itself will die, then everything inside of it has to die eventually. It can't be the nature of the things that exist within to just continue existing after the vessel that holds it all together no longer exists. So then we have the conversation move from that to a discussion of soul and body. Now those words for that in this story is and soul and body. The Horoa is the body and the Fea is the soul. And Finrod starts discussing the differences between the two fates of the souls. And he says, he has a really interesting quote when talking about the elves' analysis of men. He says, for strange as we deem it, we see clearly 
that the fea of men, that the souls of men are not, as are ours, confined to Arda, nor is Arda their home, Arda the earth. So he's basically saying to her, like, there's something about you and your destiny that is special, that is different from ours, that you're going to go somewhere. You're going somewhere else. I don't know where you're going, but you're not destined to be here. And I'm going to continue on with the quotes here because I think that they're so interesting. And he goes on, you know, talking about the differences. And he says, to me, the differences seems like that between one who visits a strange country and abides there a while, but need not. And one who has lived in that land always and must. To the former, all things that he sees are new and strange, and in that degree, lovable. To the other, all things are familiar, the only things that are his own, and in that degree, precious. And then Andrith says, if you mean that men are the guests? And then Finrod responds, that is the name that we have given you, the guests. So the elves are literally calling the second children of Iluvatar, the guests of the world. Because they know that there's something special about them, that their nature is beyond. And we don't fully understand it, but they're not meant to stay here. And then Andrith kind of responds with this snarky, like, snide remark to take a dig at Finrod. She'd be like, oh, so, oh yeah, you lordly as ever. Yeah, you and your pride telling us that we're the guests, that we don't belong. Of course, that's so like you, you elves, telling us that we don't belong here. And she says, if the earth belongs to you, then where do we belong? And it's funny, Finrod responds with, you tell me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. That's why I, we're having this discussion. That's why I'm so curious about your race. And Finrod makes a really powerful argument here to Andrith about the fact that they are guests in the world, trying to get it, uh, trying to get her to see things through the elves' perspective. He says, you people, you came from the east, right? The elves also came from the east. Both children of Iluvatar awoke in the east. If I were to take you to your, uh, where you were originally birthed, He's like, if I were to take you there, I would see things that I recognize. He's like, I've traveled all over the place. He goes, I would see things that I recognize as part of my home, as part of this earth that I call my own. And he goes, you, you wouldn't recognize it. Because yeah, it's your original home. It's where your ancestors came from, but you have never seen it. It would be foreign to you. This land is foreign to you. All of it is so brief for you. And Andrith responds with something interesting. She says, all right, all right, I low-key, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And then she makes an analysis of her own race. She says that things to men that are long known become stale and less special, which really interesting, definitely true about the nature of men, right? In our real world. Tolkien writes something here. It says, too often seen is no longer, is what she says here. Too often seen is no longer. Men have this appetite and things that they know. She actually says that in the tongues of men, the same word for long known is also the, sta the same word for stale. So Finrod is trying to express here and Andrith is seeing in this moment that men have this appetite, this appetite to no longer be interested in things that are easily accessible to them. And she is beginning to realize in this moment that she says to Finrod, like, do you think that this is a part of our nature, that we have this appetite, that the world, after we've seen it too many times, becomes less special to us? 
Do you think that's because it's a part of our nature that we are supposed to not be satisfied with this world, that we are supposed to want to leave this world to go see somewhere else? And Finrod says, yeah, I do. I do think that that's a part of your nature. And, you know, I I thought that was so interesting because it's so applicable to the world that we live in. We, We always do so easily, you know, view the things that we know and that we take for granted as stale. And we need to not be that way. We need to remind ourselves of the beauty of things around us. And Andrith actually says here that among men, we actually call, we say the elves, we say of you people, Finrod, we say that you're like grown children because you never lose your childlike wonder for the world, the earth around you, whereas men do. Men don't appreciate the world like the elves do. And that's because Iluvatar made them that way. And Finrod takes the debate back to body and soul. Again, to argue with Andreth about the true nature of men, he again inquires, how can the body of a man live past the body of the world itself? That's impossible. So it, it can't be the nature of men to do that. And Finrod also suggests that death for men is actually a coming home moment for the soul of men, for the fea of men. They are returning home at death. They are going to the proper place in which they belong. And Andrith is not having any of that. Andrith says, no, no. It's unnatural for man's body to be separated from his soul. She says, the body isn't an inn for some indweller to occupy for a night and then be on his way. She says, that's, that's unnatural. That's wrong. That the body and the soul were not meant to be separated. And then she says... If what you're saying is true, and that it's natural that man's body and soul be separated, then what is the body but a chain for the indweller? A chain that has been imposed upon him. And then she says, do you know who is the creator of chains? And she basically alludes to Melkor. So again, she brings it back to Melkor. It's like this situation has been imposed upon us if what you're saying is true. And then Finrod goes on to suggest why this could potentially be a good thing that men leave the world. He says, this then, I propound, was the errand of men, not to be followers, but to be heirs and fulfillers of all, to the healing of Arda already, foreshadowed before their devising, and to do more as agents of the magnificence of Eru to enlarge the music and surpass the vision of the world. For that, Arda shall be healed. It shall not be Arda unmarred, but a third thing, and a greater, and yet the same. So what he's saying here, he's like, okay, I see what you're saying, but maybe it's good that you leave the world. Maybe you are actually supposed to be part of saving the world. Maybe you depart from here and you create a new music for the magnificence of Eru Iluvatar. Maybe maybe you save us all in some way. And then he's like, what do, what do the Valar know of this? Maybe they don't know any of it. They haven't told us. Maybe Iluvatar hasn't even told the Valar what the destiny of man is. And then he says, as may a master in the telling of tales keep hidden the greatest moment until it comes in due course. He presents this idea to her that the second children, men, may actually deliver the first children from ultimate destruction by leaving the world and singing a new song, 
with Iluvatar. Because you remember the music of the Ionor in the beginning, at the beginning of the Silmarillion, brought the universe into existence. But sewn into it is the discord of Melkor. But once Melkor is finally defeated in the teleology, then men, the second children of Iluvatar, can save the first children of Iluvatar by exiting the world and with the creator, singing a new song of creation. And then he says, Arda would be remade, the earth would be remade, and the elves would walk with the children of men, their deliverers, and the elves will sing songs to men who will be, who will lord over them, that men will be the heroes, ultimately, of the children of Iluvatar, that men will be the lordly ones. He says, in the first age, look, we were the lordly ones, okay? We appeared better. But when it's all said and done, you are going to be the, the glorified children, the saviors of the world. And that right there is the ultimate end of Tolkien's universe. The teleology of Tolkien's universe, right? That is the destiny of the children of Iluvatar. That's one of the things that I love about Tolkien is how fleshed out his world is. There is a beginning, there is an end, there are stories that happen in the middle, and they all ultimately culminate into this amazing beginning and end story. Now let's see what Andrith's response to that is. Andrith is listening to what he's saying, and unfortunately, she returns to despair. She says, Alas, Lord, what then is to be done now? For we speak as if these things are, or as if they will assuredly be. But men have been made diminished, and their power is taken away. We look for no Arda remade. Darkness lies before us, into which we stare in vain. If by our aid your everlasting mansions were to be prepared, they will not be builded now. So she's basically saying, okay, that's great. We can speculate. And, and we as the reader know that this is what's going to happen in Tolkien's teleology. But Andrith in this story just feels at this moment that it's speculation about both their fates. And Finrod says, have ye then no hope? And Andrith says, what is hope? An expectation of good, which though uncertain has some foundation in what is known? Then we have none. And then Finrod says... That is one thing that men call hope. Amdir, we call it, or looking up. Now, I want to say here about the Rings of Power. I want to give a shout out to them, even though there's obviously been complaints in plenty of other areas of the show, but I really appreciated that they took that bit there from Finrod's dialogue in the debate with Andreth. They included it, you know, when he was talking about the ship with Galadriel. And he says, looking up, I think it's important to call out the good where it is with that show, because there's a part of me that's hopeful that if you can praise the good areas, that they will continue to feed and foster that as the show goes on. And maybe it'll be like that for whatever movies Warner Brothers comes out with. Some might not think that that's a realistic outlook, but I think it's important to do. Because if you don't say like, hey, I really appreciated that one part and it's all just negative criticism, then what incentive are they going to have to stick to those philosophically good morals at all in these stories? But anyway, back to the story. There's a really powerful quote here where he says, there's another word, Estelle, we call it, that is trust. It is not defeated by the ways of the world for it does not come from experience, but from our nature and first being. If we are indeed the children of the one, then he will not suffer himself to be deprived of his own, not by any enemy. Now, 
I really love this quote because it reminded me, as a Christian, it reminded me of John 6, 37, where Jesus says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And it's obviously, it's not an allegory, it's not the same thing, but I, I love that that strong, powerful sentiment. Going back to the story, it's like, we're the children of Iluvatar. We know by our nature that the Creator isn't going to let anything happen to our souls, you know, when this story is wrapped up. And I really appreciate that quote. Andrith, again, is just really not hearing what Finrod is trying to say to her right here. And he basically says, like, okay, all right, so you don't have a lot of hope, but do you have trust? Do you have trust in your nature that Iluvatar ultimately will take care of you? And she basically says no. And then he tries to convince her that there is some trust that you have, right? Because your people, your race, you departed. You came west in hopes of something better. You came west with that, with that Estelle, with that trust, following the light of the sun. And he's trying to get her to see that there still is trust among men. There still is trust among her people. There's faith there. And she references like, okay, well, there are those of us who subscribe to what she refers to as the old hope. And this is where Finrod kind of perks his ear up and he's like, the old hope? What's that? Who are, who are followers of the old hope? And Andrith responds that there are those of us. There are those of the people of men who subscribe to this belief that this one that you call Eru. Now, uh, an important distinction here is that the elves have more knowledge of the Valar, of, of Eru, of the powers of the world. So they have different names for things, while men with the limited knowledge that they have, they just kind of refer to Iluvatar as the voice or the one. So she basically says this one that you call Eru, the subscribers and believers in the old hope, they believe that Eru himself, the one, will come into Arda, will come into the bounds of the world, and will heal the world of the marring. Now, the marring is the discord of Melkor. That is, it's Arda marred. It's, it's the evil that has been sewn into the fabric of the world that they live. They believe that the creator will come into the world and heal the world and heal men of their affliction. And I think here we get a fantastic meta-narrative for Christ. Because Andrith is basically speculating, okay, this thing that the followers of the old hope believe, how can Eru enter the world? And she says, can the singer enter his tale or the designer into his picture? And Finrod responds with, he is already in it as well as outside. And then Andrith says, how can the greater vessel enter the lesser? And then Fidron was, responds with, these words mean nothing to the measureless. Talking about Iluvatar. He is measureless. He says to her, like, you're speaking in a manner of shapes and dimensions. And Iluvatar is not limited to these things. And he responds with her question of belief that he does not believe that Eru will allow the world to be consumed by Melkor. And then Andrith responds with, do you believe this hope? And Finrod says, don't ask me yet, as I'm just learning of it. And then he goes on to say, maybe we were supposed to meet so that I could hear this news that you have brought to me about this, this old hope. You know, maybe this was supposed to happen. Maybe this will help bridge the gap between our two kindreds. And then Andrith responds with, oh, is there no bridge? 
Is it is it that wide of a gap between us? And this is kind of where we start getting into the hint of Andreth's bad attitude, really. Finrod says, Our differences lie in fate, and those who wish to cross that bridge would receive the misery of both races, is his response. Then we get into... I mean, obviously, Andreth is someone who is jaded by the fact that men have to die. It's, it's in their face constantly that they have to die, especially when they're dealing with the elves on a regular basis. And they have to see that the elves get to just reap this enjoyment of long life and, and relaxation. And she's upset about that. But she's also upset about Agnor, Finrod's brother. Because now we get into Finrod is the one who brings it up, right? He brings up the fact that those who wish to cross the bridge between the two races, that is essentially a romantic relationship between an elf and one of the race of men, will inevitably meet sorrow because their fates are not intertwined. So they will receive the sorrows of both races. And then Finrod brings up Agnor, right? We find out at this moment that Andreth, when she was young, she met Finrod's brother, Agnor. So this would be Galadriel's other brother in the hills of Dorloman, and they fell in love with each other. And Agnor ultimately chooses to not pursue the relationship, even though he did love her. And he chooses to go the rest of his life with no mate. That's an elf out of respect for the love that he had for Andrith. But this leaves Andrith very angry and discouraged. She doesn't understand this decision that he made. And Finrod is kind of spends the next, you know, page and a half trying to explain to her where Agdor was coming from, why it wasn't a good idea for them to be together, but that he still loves her and she just doesn't get it. You know, she's she's like it, it. She's essentially of the opinion that it could have worked. We could have made it work. We could have had fun while it lasted. And Finrod is explaining like things and memories. They're different for elves. He wouldn't have wanted to remember the constant pain of your loss. He tries to explain that Agnor is at war right now with Morgoth, and elves do not start families in times of war. Now at this time. They are in what's known as the Long Peace. This is when the elves were sieging Angban. It lasted 195 years where there, there weren't any battles. Morgoth was just kind of preparing for the next war. So there was a time of peace and calm in the land. That's partially why, you know, Finrod had been meeting so much with the, the House of Beor, because there was time to meet and have discussions like this. And then they go on and continue to have a back and forth about time and youth and how they could have made it work. And they basically agree to disagree here. And Andrith returns to the concept of death and where she will go ultimately when she dies. And I'm going to read the quote here. This is basically coming out of the discussion of why Finrod was saying that it wouldn't work. And she was basically saying, like, I would have been fine because I, I would have been dead. I, I wouldn't have remembered the relationship with Agnor. So why couldn't we have just had it? I wouldn't remember the pain. She says, what shall I remember? And when I go, to what halls shall I come? To a darkness in which even the memory of the sharp flame, talking about Agnor because she refers to him as a flame, shall be quenched, even the memory of rejection that at least. So she's saying, I don't know where I'm going when I die. And I wouldn't have remembered our relationship. So I wouldn't have remembered the pain of loss. But you know what, when I die, I won't remember the pain of his rejection either. 
And it's at this point that their discussion starts to come to a close and Finrod is getting up to leave. And he goes over and he takes her hand in the light of the fire. And Andrith is asking, where are you going? And he's telling her that he's going to go north to war. And then she asks about Agnor. She asks if Agnor will be there. She basically says, tell him to be safe. And Finrod responds with this. I will tell him, but I might as well tell thee not to weep. He is a warrior, Andrith, and a spirit of wrath. In every stroke that he deals, he sees the enemy who long ago did thee this hurt. But you are not for Arda. Whither you go, may you find light. Await us there, my brother and me. So he's making a reference there to the ultimate end when the world is created. He goes, wherever you go, I hope you find light. And he's talking about the end that he believes where both children of Iluvatar, men and elves, will be together rejoicing and enjoying eternal, everlasting peace on the new earth. And he says, await there for my brother and me. And... It's a really powerful line. Like it's a it's a moving end to this story and that's that's how it ends. I love this debate that takes place between these two characters because not only does it provide so much breadth and depth into the the views of not just Andrith and Finrod, but elves and men as a whole, the frustrations of men and the philosophy of the elves and what what they have to deal with in turn, but it also deals with death as a general matter and the reflection of the experience of death that we get in the real world. I highly recommend all of you read this and check it out. Again, you can find it online. I didn't do it justice, you know, because I was summarizing everything, but I just wanted to give you quick, easily digestible, like I said, of, of the back and forth between these two characters. And I, I really love the story. And it's it's one of my favorite pieces of writing. And it's funny because it's not even in any of the main canon books. You, know? <laughs> you have to find it in Morgoth's Ring in the History of Middle-Earth series. And it just moves me when I read it. So definitely check it out. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Feel free to email me, let me know some other topics that you might be interested in, or any general feedback that you might have on this podcast or any other podcast I've done. But yeah, again, thank you for listening.